1: If it's social then you really could believe it. You can't let my people say it's so serious. Because you're social, you're a leader and you're
0: serious. Now Carrie Kirpin. So today, I got
2: a real treat. I got to talk to Kate Gardner, who I have admired from afar for just about forever, ever since I joined an incredible networking group called The List. I've been watching her, and she's unbelievable. She's an audience engagement specialist working with media brands to redefine their digital futures. She's the founder of DSTL, which is a New York-based agency serving clients around the world, and she's a co-founder of AZG really, really impressed by the work she's doing with media companies. She's going to tell you all about it, give you some good thoughts on your first start out of school, as well as what media brands need to do to survive in today's day and age. Take a listen. Welcome Kate to the show. Hello, Carrie. Nice to hear you. I'm so thrilled to have you on today. As you know, I am absolutely obsessed with the list, which I know you are a key part of, but I I would love to hear, before we get into my uh, list obsession, which I've been talking your ear off about pre-show, I'd love to talk to you about the story of your career and how you got to where you are today. Okay. So, I was a journalist. I wanted
1: to be a journalist since I was little um, and ended up at a tiny newspaper in Hawaii, which was the most fun of my career, but also went bankrupt after about 18 months. I ended up in grad school at Northwestern, Uh, went from Northwestern to WBEZ in Chicago, then to PBS NewsHour, uh, then to Al Jazeera, all in social roles or digital roles as they developed. And then uh, from there, I ended up doing a lot of freelancing. Uh, I think one of the things I learned from graduating in 2009 from grad school was basically that there are no jobs and media is dying. Um, which isn't necessarily true, but it did make it a little bit harder to make enough money to like eat. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, so I started having a consulting practice, uh, maybe as early as 2011, but I've been going, I've been freelancing and doing social ish stuff since definitely since 2011 full time and, uh, since
2: 2008, 2009 part time. So, okay, so you're graduating from grad school and they tell you there's no jobs, the media's dying, it's all over. Do you think that for young people coming out of school today that taking a more entrepreneurial or consulting-based path, if you have a passion for digital, journalism, all of these pieces, uh, is something to consider? Or do you think you should get your feet wet uh, in an organization first? Can you jump right into working for yourself? You can't... You can't. You shouldn't. You
1: can, but the challenge is going to be that you won't have the same understanding of the newsroom environment or the working environment. And So it's hard for you to provide insight as a consultant because you consult, you're giving them advice around a space that they don't understand. Now, in the context of a specific platform, you might actually have area expertise, but you probably do not understand You know why Bob and Susie don't get along and how that impacts the way that they could execute a social strategy together, for example. Or the inter interdepartmental budgeting type stuff where you're trying to understand, uh, you know, team A has a million dollars and T B is laying three people off. How do, how did that work out and why did that happen? Um, you know, those are the kinds of puzzles that, that you need to have some sort of root for. And I think the, the challenge of being a twenty three year old consultant is it's like Who's who's industry expertise? Who who are you aiding and abetting with your industry expertise or lack thereof?
2: And so, it would be best if you can to start and get in on the inside. And yet, there are fewer and fewer jobs. Do you have any advice? We have a lot of younger listeners for getting in. What do you need to do to get in the door?
1: I'd say eleven internships. Uh, and some of them are paid, some of them weren't paid, some of them were sort of paid, some of them paid me in concert tickets, some of them paid me <laughs> in you know access to events, um, and some of them paid me in absolutely ridiculously small grants. Um, but it's a mixture of being really good at filling in forms and then just kind of being tireless in your both your networking and your freelance opportunities. So even if you don't, if you can't find a full time role, you can find a half dozen part time roles. And you can take them all at the same time as long as you're really good at time management and you kind of control your personal life in a in a way that is less typical of a 23-year-old, but it's still something that can be done.
2: So a mix of internships is definitely what started to give you the experience. I wonder, I don't know if you've seen this. I, I definitely have seen this, that the internship landscape has changed with a few of the lawsuits that came to pass. Don't you think it's changed? You're much more likely
1: to be able, in New York at least, to secure a paid internship, because everybody got sued, but it also yes. means that there are significantly fewer internships to go after. Um, Actually, that's what I publication. Yeah, it's fewer. So it, mm-hmm. it really depends um, on on your on what you need and and where you go. Um, the other route is really to go to a non-coastal city, and um, there's definitely many many more opportunities. Uh, to be audience, to specialize in audience engagement there. So if you're, if you're thinking about your career tra- trajectory, um, you can kind of treat it the same way that you would a broadcast television career, where the way that you get on TV eventually is to spend two years in Wausau, Wisconsin, and then two more years in a tier two city, and then two more years in a tier one city in a minor role, and then you'll get promoted. It'll be a slower path, um, but you're, it'll be a slower path in the sense that you have to go through all those jobs. But at the same time, you don't have to spend two years anymore. You can spend one year. You can, in some cases, spend six months. Um, as long as you have a, a career a clear and demonstrable trajectory um, from the positions that you've held. Um, and as long as you're also really uh, able to take advantage of opportunities that are offered to you. I think the challenge that some people have is, is you know, it might be that when you graduate college, you have six months, and then suddenly you're two hundred thousand dollars in debt um or you're a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and you have to make those student loan d- payments to cover you know your brilliant idea that was like your American studies degree or whatever um <laughs> and so <clears throat> and sometimes your your parents can't help you with that because you know you're allegedly a grown up at twenty three and I think the trick there is to really decide. You know, okay, this piece of my career is very important to me, um, and this is the way that I'm going to work towards it, even if it means that you know at night you're you're doing bartending and during the day you're doing whatever whatever else you might need that's career oriented. Um, I don't know. My team's pretty fr- friendly to having multiple jobs. Like you, yep. our our company is like. Well, obviously, you have multiple jobs. You're less than thirty. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you've got all the
2: energy and that's it go do it I love it I love it well you gotta do it I loved your approach about the um about taking audience engagement in, in the approaching it the same way you'd approach broadcast journalism because that's totally true about broadcast journalists that's such an interesting thought that you go off of a coastal city I love that it's
1: interesting to me. A lot of the people who we're working with right now are non coastal cities and a lot of them are having a really hard time recruiting talent that knows what it's doing. So if you're a good writer or you think you're a good writer at least, or you're a good photojournalist, or you're a good you know, you're good at your um, area of specialization and it is important to specialize, you should just run with it and you should figure out what the most relevant place
2: to be in city-wise is for you, um,
1: and work towards going there, but maybe not start there.
2: Such a great piece of advice. And so, okay, so we talk about audience engagement. Talk to me a little bit about that. You are an audience engagement specialist. Talk to me about mm-hmm. how that works with media brands and what it is that you do.
1: Um, so I run a, a team called AVG. AVG is a creative studio that works with media companies on building um uh, a visual audience so across any platform and any series of platforms and that's everything from the simplest stuff so you know running your social to more complex stuff so we'll build, build your website or build your event series or build your community and we'll build those guidelines into it and we'll, we'll think really hard about what creative concepts might be best suited to the audience that you want to engage with um, and this means that when we work with a media company we're really cro- cross-platform. Uh, typically, we work with a, a corporate suite, so we work with the, the senior leadership, and we're trying to do everything from restructure restructure a company, a legacy media brand, um, so a media brand that's older than 20 years old. We're working on either restructuring the way that their infrastructure works so that it integrates digital more cohesively, or we're working on figuring out ways to staff it so that it, it might be more flexible given the way that news has changed in the last 10 years. Yeah, Um, And then we also work as content creators to figure out what the best short medium and long-term strategy might be for executing their content. So, for example, if you're a documentary film, it's going to be a mixture of the festival season and then some launch date at some point. Um, If it is a a media company that's producing a turn of content, you're producing 20 or 30 pieces a day, and we're going to focus more heavily on how to maximize distribution for either key pieces in that in that suite of content or to figure out how to make each piece more social-friendly across the board, um, both for distribution purposes and then for posting uh, to social media uh, as the brand. So we'll look at a toolkit and try to build out what is cost-effective for that group as well as what is reasonable for that group to to expect itself to do, and then we also help to define parameters. So, what is key uh, What is key performance in this particular set? What is key performance in that particular set? And then how do we augment that with everything from conventional PR to technological innovation um, to sometimes you know we have Easter egg strategies where you can find things on our website if you look really hard. Um, and it really depends on the brand and, and the way that the brand wants to play online and sort of what the C-suite envisions for its future. And then sometimes, you know, we're we're actually at the forefront of that research. It's kind of like, okay, this is where we think that this piece of your brand could go and this mm. is how we can carry you through. So it's like, you guys should be investing in this hardware. You guys need to invest in, you know, a video suite or you need to invest invest in audio booths or you need to invest in whatever other infrastructure might make your life easier
2: no. uh, or
1: might, might might be something useful
2: over the next couple of years. And do you find that when you're looking at a legacy brand, you're looking at a le- legacy media company and you're looking at okay, they have to um, make major systemic, you know, changes to what they're doing. Are they willing to Really, kind of overhaul to think more digitally. Is it a challenge? How is it? How it do you depends impact? Depends on the company.
1: Okay. It really depends on the company. Some companies really want the change. Some people are embracing it. Some of them are really excited about it. Some of them uh, recognize that the ship is burning, and if they don't really hurry up, it's not going to be a fire extinguisher. And then sometimes we, you know, we're brought in by a corporate executive who doesn't have the pull to to execute the plan, and we, we present work that they just can't do. You know, we've worked with about, we're at about 92 media companies now. Wow. So So, uh, we've seen all things happen. I've had, you know, I've walked out of a meeting and heard my proposals hit the the bin on the way out. And I've walked <laughs> out of a meeting and uh, had someone decide to uh, fire 20 people. And I've walked out of a meeting where we've decided to invest multiple millions of dollars in developing an entire new suite of content. Um. You never you never know. And the thing that's interesting about consulting to me is that uh all of those possible uh results are completely reasonable. Like they're right. just, it's it, it, okay, fine, that's what you want, that's what you're gonna get. We work on a on a retainer calendar, so we're we're with a client for between six months and two years. Um and we affect the most change in those first six months if the client's really eager. To do it, we affect the change the most over two years if the client
2: is really not eager to
1: right. do it. Uh, right. And and it also like depends the how creaky the they are.
2: Yeah, it's the leadership I think that makes the difference. It sounds like yes. the person who throws it in the bin or who immediately says "Let's go," and so it probably yep. affects the time. What's an example of a media company that's really doing it right? It can be yours or otherwise. But you know, who do you think uh, is doing a great job? You could look at somebody like KCRW
1: who built an app, or WNYC here in New York, who have both built
2: apps that suit their
1: audience to a T um, and who serve their core functionality as both a radio station and a news source. Um, and they're doing they're doing exactly what they want for the kind of brand that they want to be. Um, you can look to both or to The Verge or to any of the Vox... Companies and you can say that the way that they built their technical platform has facilitated the distribution of their content across all platforms. And then the way that they're selling that is ingenious because they figured out a monet- way to at least for the short term monetize social media distribution. However, you know it it, it really depends too on, on kind of what what your definition of success is. Um, we've been lucky that Buzzfeed has chosen to invest in in traditional journalism, um, which kind of makes up for the fact that they.
2: <laughs> don't do traditional journalism. Yes, yes. their traditional <laughs> of journalism offsets the ridiculous listicle. Totally, totally. But but
1: by investing in listicles, they ensure that they have enough audience, that they have somewhere to put the, the hard yep. news stories. And, I, yep. I, you know, that's a completely reasonable hypothesis. Uh, you could look at um cheeseburger and what Ben Hunt did over there, and it's going to be the same thing. It's kind of like, well, I figured out how to monetize cheeseburgers, and then I put some of that money into Circa. No, that didn't exactly work, but it it was a good hypothesis. And you can keep looking looking for those examples. I think the dark horse right now is probably going to be all of the local media brands um, who, at the end of the day, are the only people who are attending that city council meeting and are the only people who are going to report on issues that directly impact a human being who lives in a certain place. Um, And... There's the local papers may move online, but at the same time, they know exactly who their target audience is. They know exactly where that audience lives and they know exactly how to cater to that content. A lot of the stuff that we're doing on social media is a crapshoot because you never know if anybody's going to be interested in it. But everyone wants to know whether or not a new highway is coming through their town or, you know, what the hours of their kids park are or,
2: you know, if there's a school holiday. Um And that kind of
1: news is is the most readily
2: monetizable. Yeah. I mean, okay, so let me ask you this question. This is more just as a a user. I was very surprised that, like, because I I use hyperlocal news all the time, and I was surprised that things like the patch didn't take off as well as expected because I looked at that like people need hyperlocal news, people need news delivered digitally, and isn't this perfect – are people getting their hyper-local hyper content? I mean, when I, in my town, I live in a town, everyone around me who is a little bit less digitally savvy because they don't work in the space, but arguably on digital all the time, they're reading their local papers and not using as much digitally. Is that, is that bound to change? It, it, it has to change, right? Because the, the shift of overall, you know, the way we consume global news and national news and all these things, it, it will and it is changing, correct?
1: Well, it's all changing, but I think that the thing that will that national can never do is reflect the character of a place right um and so the way that you may consume local news may shift online as our elders die and as the printing press becomes cost prohibitive yeah um but the impact of those things, which in some in some cases have moved into just facebook group type situations but yes. also have moved into. Uh, a variety of, of more traditional meetup groups. The need for local organizations to communicate with one another using social platforms is is the same as the need uh, for local news. I think that the the place that we publish it is is the more complicated part, and I think yeah. the reason that. And, and obviously, the reason that all this stuff is, is slow on uptake is because it's very expensive, and there's no, there's not as rapid as a shift of uh, a shift in a local economy as there might be uh, in a scalable economy. You know, we're, we're super focused on having building all these applications that serve hundred thousand users, ten million users, a hundred million users. You know, Buzzfeed and now this don't even really know how many people see their stuff, but it's well over a billion uh, views a month this ridiculous scale, and congratulations to them, but at the same time, the 35,000 people in the average small town in America are right. going to go right. to wherever the news is, right. um, and they don't have to have that rapid pace of change, because at the end of the day, 35,000 pieces of paper printed is uh, still going to, most of the time, be cheaper than building the technical apparatus
2: that BuzzFeed had to build to make make its product successful. Absolutely. Okay. Good. That gives me some good. I, I've wondered about that quite a bit because I, I watch uh, hyperlocal behavior. I'm fascinated uh, by neighborhood by neighborhood how people consume their content, and I think that's that's very interesting. And so, well, one of well, you brought
1: up you brought up you brought up patch before, and one of the reasons that failed is because it was a bit early in some ways, and in other ways, it attempted to to scale something that that didn't need this this Shape of scale that they gave it. Yeah. Um, Tribune Company tried to do something similar called Chicago Now a few years ago, and, and a part of the work that they were doing was, was kind of related to my master's thesis at the time. And they they couldn't execute it. Like that, it was just not. It wasn't feasible because what they were doing was trying to redirect audience instead of catering to an audience where the audience existed. Um, hmm. And I think uh there's still a solid piece of of culture that is not happening online and there are a lot of people who the internet doesn't speak. Um and those people are still monetizable human beings and they still consume content in some fashion. So, you know, there's a there's a super long tail on the, the rest of the decline. Uh, even even as we shift the content so that it can be serviced on i uh served on iPhones and whatnot not everyone is going to spend $600 on a
2: phone in a developing country. Yep. And so let me ask you this, and and bringing it back to social media, when you're looking at a media company, is there an over, or I guess you're looking at the the scope of the media companies that you work with, is there a network uh, on which news is most shared? Is it still, I know Twitter really was looked at um, as the place to share news. Has that shifted with kind of the recent changes to platforms and how people are sharing content?
1: It's Facebook. It's Facebook. Wow. Facebook. Solid it's always Facebook. It's going to prominently be Facebook. The Twitter, fo- the Twitter stuff is, is well and good, but you're mostly talking to people who make media on yep. Twitter now.
2: Yep. Um, and you're talking about pop culture. Fascinating. Amazing. All right, now, Kate, last question for you before we go. So you work in the space. Are you personally someone who's on social all the time, or do you feel like when you get home and you're done? Although I guess we're never done um, as entrepreneurs, but do you do you ever feel the need to completely disconnect? Yeah, so
1: I actually spend um, most of August away. So last year I spent it in the Brazilian rainforest, which is as far as I could get from the internet. Uh, Amazing. This year I'm not really sure where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere also that doesn't have internet. I, I definitely take
2: between two and four weeks a year are offline. Amazing. Amazing. Kate, where should people connect with you if they want to follow up with you or connect in any way? What's the best network or place?
1: All of the things uh, are on my website, kategardner.com. It's gardner with an I, G A R D I N E R.com. Or um, actually, our new website is we areabg.com.
2: We are com Awesome. Kate, thanks for being on the show today.
0: You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.